0: Part 2, Chapter 4 of The Life of Florence Nightingale, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Florence Nightingale, Volume 1 by Edward Tias Cook. Chapter 4 The Expert's Touch. Write that, when pride of human skill fell prostrate with the weight of care, and men prayed out for some strong will, some reason mid the wild despair, the loving heart of woman rose to guide the hand and clear the eye, gave hope amid the sternest woes, and saved what man had left to die. R. M. M. A Monument for Scutari, Times, September 10, 1855. Miss Nightingale arrived at Scutari, as we have seen, on November 4, and was immediately in the midst of heavy work in nursing. The Battle of Balaklava was fought on October 25, and on the day after her arrival, the Battle of Inkerman. Miss N is decidedly well received, reported Mr. Bracebridge to Mr. Herbert, November 8. A few days later, the commander of the forces, in a letter dated before Sevastopol, November 13, 1854 bade her a hearty welcome, tendering to her a grateful acknowledgement for thus charitably devoting yourself to those who have suffered in the service of their country, regardless of the painful scenes you may have to witness. With some of the military officers, she had difficulties. From the commander, she received nothing but courtesy, sympathy, and support. Miss Nightingale cannot but here recall, she wrote after the war, with deep gratitude and respect the letters of support and encouragement which she received from the late lord raglan who invariably acknowledged all that was attempted for the good of his men with the deepest feeling as well as with the high courtesy and true manliness of his character no tinge of petty jealousy against those entrusted with any commission public or private connected with the army under his command ever alloyed his generous benevolence the behaviour of some but not all of the military officers and of the men who caught their manners from the officers was at first different there was sometimes ill-disguised jealousy and consequent sulkiness outwardly there was politeness but difficulties were put into the way of the bird as some of them called her behind her back and she was left to shift for herself when a little help might have eased the burden it is the bird's duty they would say Miss Nightingale, however, kept perfect command of her temper. She was always calm and self-possessed, says one of the Roman Catholic sisters. She was a perfect lady through everything, never overbearing. I never heard her raise her voice. Upon most of the medical men on the spot, she made a good impression at once, because she proved herself to be efficient and helpful. She applied the expert's touch. But there were doctors and doctors. Some welcomed her and her staff made as much use of them as possible. Others resented their presence and threw obstacles in their way. There was one ward in which the junior medical officers had been advised by their superior to have as little to do with Miss Nightingale as possible. She showed exemplary patience under this kind of opposition, and gradually won her way into the confidence of most of the doctors. Miss Nightingale told us, says one of her staff, only to attend to patients in the wards of those surgeons who wished for our services, and she charged us never to do anything for the patients without the leave of the doctors. The number of nurses admitted into each division of a hospital depended, Miss Nightingale herself explained, upon the medical officer of that division, who sometimes accepted them, sometimes refused them, sometimes accepted them after they had been refused while the duties they were permitted to perform varied according to the will of each individual medical officer. That this ill-defined state of things called constantly for tact and diplomacy on the part of the lady superintendent, and often for severe self-restraint, will readily be perceived. On the first arrival of Miss Nightingale and her staff, the wounded were pouring in fast, and the nurses were told off to the worst surgical cases. Comfort yourselves, wrote Mr. Bracebridge to her parents, November 20, that what the good flow has done and is doing is priceless, and is felt to be so by the medical men. The cleanliness of the wounds, which were horribly dirty, the general order and arrangement, there has not been half the jealousy I expected from them towards her. As to Miss Nightingale and her companions, wrote Mr. Osborne to Mr. Herbert, November 15, nothing can be said too strong in their praise she works them wonderfully and they are so useful that i have no hesitation in saying some twenty more of the same sort would be a very great blessing to the establishment her nerve is equal to her good sense she with one of the nurses and myself gave efficient aid at an amputation of the thigh yesterday she was just as cool as if she had had to do it herself a letter from miss nightingale herself to her friend of harley street dr bowman the ophthalmic surgeon gives a lively account of some of her difficulties and a vivid picture of the horrors amid which her work was done november fourteen i came out ma'am prepared to submit to everything to be put upon in every way but there are some things ma'am one can't submit to there is the caps ma'am that suits one face and some that suits another and if i'd known ma'am about the caps great as was my desire to come out to nurse at Scutery, i wouldn't have come ma'am speech of mrs lawfield time must be at a discount with the man who can adjust the balance of such an important question as the above and i for one have none as you will easily suppose when i tell you that on thursday last we had one thousand seven hundred fifteen sick and wounded in this hospital among whom one hundred twenty cholera patients and six hundred fifty severely wounded in the other building called the general hospital of which we also have charge when a message came to me to prepare for 510 wounded on our side of the hospital who were arriving from the dreadful affair of the 5th November from Balaclava, in which battle were 1,763 wounded and 442 killed, besides 96 officers wounded and 38 killed. I always expected to end my days as hospital matron, but I never expected to be barrack mistress. We had but half an hour's notice before they began landing the wounded between one and nine o'clock we had the mattresses stuffed sewn up laid down alas only upon matting on the floor the men washed and put to bed and all their wounds dressed i wish i had time i would write you a letter dear to a surgeon's heart i am as good as a medical times but, oh, you gentlemen of England who sit at home in all the well-earned satisfaction of your successful cases, can have little idea from reading the newspapers of the horror and misery in a military hospital of operating upon these dying, exhausted men. A London hospital is a garden of flowers to it. We have had such a sea in the Bosphorus, and the Turks, the very men for whom we are fighting, carry in our wounded so cruelly that they arrive in a state of agony. One amputated stump died two hours after we received him, one compound fracture just as we were getting him into bed. In all, twenty-four cases died on the day of landing. The dysentery cases have died at the rate of one in two, then the day of operations which follows. We are very lucky in our medical heads. Two of them are brutes, and four are angels. For this is a work which makes either angels or devils of men, and of women too. As for the assistants, they are all cubs, and will, while a man is breathing his last breath under the knife, lament the annoyance of being called up from their dinners by such a fresh influx of wounded. But unlicked cubs grow up into good old bears, though I don't know how. For certain it is the old bears are good. We have now four miles of beds, and not eighteen inches apart. We have our quarters in one tower of the barrack, and all this fresh influx has been laid down between us and the main guard, in two corridors, with a line of beds down each side, just room for one person to pass between, and four wards. Yet in the midst of this appalling horror, we are steeped up to our necks in blood. There is good, and I can truly say, like St. Peter, it is good for us to be here though I doubt whether if St. Peter had been here he would have said so. As I went my nightly rounds among the newly wounded that first night, there was not one murmur, not one groan, the strictest discipline, the most absolute silence and quiet prevailed, only the steps of the century. And I heard one man say, I was dreaming of my friends at home, and another said, I was thinking of them these poor fellows bear pain and mutilation with an unshrinking heroism which is really superhuman and die or are cut up without a complaint the wounded are now lying up to our very door and we are landing five hundred forty more from the andes i take rank in the army as brigadier-general because forty british females whom i have with me are more difficult to manage than four thousand men let no lady come out here who is not used to fatigue and privation. Every ten minutes an orderly runs, and we have to go and cram lint into the wound till a surgeon can be sent for, and stop the bleeding as well as we can. In all our corridor, I think we have not an average of three limbs per man, and there are two ships more loading at the Crimea with wounded. This is our phraseology. Then come the operations, and a melancholy, not an encouraging list is this. They are all performed in the wards. No time to move them. One poor fellow, exhausted with hemorrhage, had his leg amputated as a last hope and dies ten minutes after the surgeon has left him. Almost before the breath has left his body, it is sewn up in its blanket and carried away and buried the same day. We have no room for corpses in the wards. The surgeons pass on to the next an excision of the shoulder joint, beautifully performed and going on well. Ball lodged just in the head of the joint, and fractures start all round. The next poor fellow has two stumps for arms, and the next has lost an arm and a leg. As for the balls, they go in where they like, and come out where they like, and do as much harm as they can in passing. That is the only rule they have. I am getting a screen now for the amputations, for when one poor fellow, who is to be amputated tomorrow, sees his comrade die today under the knife, it makes impression and diminishes his chance. But anyway, among these exhausted frames, the mortality of the operations is frightful. We have erysipelas, fever, and gangrene, and the Russian wounded are the worst. We are getting on nicely, though, in many ways. They were so glad to see us. The senior chaplain is a sensible man, which is a remarkable providence. If you ever see Mr. Whitfield, the house apothecary of St. Thomas, "'Will you tell him that the nurse he sent me, Mrs. Roberts, is worth her weight in gold? "'Mrs. Drake is a treasure. "'The four others are not fit to take care of themselves, "'but they may do better by and by if I can convince them of the absolute necessity of discipline. "'We hear there was another engagement on the eighth and more wounded who are coming down to us. "'This is only the beginning of things.' The senior chaplain had the sense, among other things, to appreciate Miss Nightingale. The chaplain says, wrote Mr. Nightingale to a friend, December 12th, "'Miss Nightingale is an admirable person. None of us can sufficiently admire her. A perfect lady. She wins and rules everyone. The most rugged official melts before her gentle voice, and all seem glad to do her bidding.'" Lawrence Nightingale had that excellent thing in woman lady lovelace in the poem already quoted spoke of her friend's soft silvery voice but it could command as well as charm unless indeed it were the charm that it commanded she scolds sergeants and orderlies all day long wrote mr bracebridge to her parents november twenty you would be astonished to see how fierce she has grown that was written of course in fun but there was always a note of calm authority in her voice a Crimean veteran recalled her passing his bed with some doctors who were saying, it can't be done, and her replying quietly, it must be done. I seem to hear her saying it, writes one who knew her well. There seemed to be no appeal from her quiet, conclusive manner. With regard to the nurses, Miss Nightingale, as may be gathered from the letter to Dr. Bowman, found them rather a difficult team to drive and this fact should be remembered in considering an episode presently to be related she had to send one nurse back to england at once filling the vacancy by a german sister from the Kaiser'sworth colony at constantinople of the six nurses supplied by st john's house or alas returned shortly from Scutari, not being prepared to accept the discipline and privations of the life out there we need not be too impatient with Mrs. Lawfield, who turned out an excellent nurse, for her objection to the cap. The uniform devised on the spur of the moment seems to have been very much less becoming than that of the staff nurse new style, with her gown of silver-gray, bright steel chain, and chignon's elegant array. The nightingale nurses in the East wore grey tweed wrappers, worsted jackets with caps and short woolen cloaks, and a frightful scarf of brown holland embroidered in red with the words "Scutari hospital such is the description of the costume worn by the seculars which is given by one of the roman catholic sisters not without some pity as she thought of her own religious habit but the short cloak should not be so contemptuously dismissed the red uniform cape worn by the ladies of the queen alexandra's imperial military nursing service is modelled on that originally introduced by florence nightingale for the nurses whom she took with her to Scutari. this cape may therefore be regarded as a memorial to the great founder of military nursing as for the frightful scarf some such distinctive badge was a very necessary precaution amid the rough and tumble of a military depot and its camp followers a raw newcomer was seen to approach one of the nurses in the street. "'You leave her alone,' said his mate. "'Don't you see she's one of Miss Nightingale's women?' Their cloth was respected throughout the camps, but Miss Nightingale had to dismiss two or three for levity of conduct. On arriving at Scutari, she had placed ten in the general hospital and twenty-eight in the barrack hospital, and in neither did she find it easy to maintain discipline.' from time to time she transferred nurses sending the best to other hospitals keeping the less trustworthy under her own eye and sending some home who were unwilling to stay or found incompetent as other recruits arrived of the thirty-eight in the first party she considered that not more than sixteen were really efficient whilst five or six were in a class of excellence by themselves the difficulties including the great dress question which Miss Nightingale had with her staff appear clearly enough in the rules and regulations for the nurses attached to the military hospitals in the East, which Miss Nightingale presently sent home to Mr. Herbert, who had them printed and handed to every candidate for appointment as nurse. As it has been stated, says the preamble, that the nurses who have gone to the hospitals in the East have in some instances complained of being subject to hardships and to rules for which they were not previously prepared and of having to do work differing from what they expected, it has been thought desirable to state distinctly the regulations relative to the outfit, clothing, duties, and position of nurses in military hospitals. The nurses, it is then set forth, are required to appear at all times in the regulation dress with the badge and never to wear flowers in their bonnet caps or ribbons other than such as are provided for them or are sanctioned by the superintendent. Another rule defines the precise quantities of spirituous liquor which a nurse will be allowed. A third states that no nurse will be allowed to walk out except with the housekeeper, or with a party of at least three nurses together, and never without leave previously obtained. The whole code shows the necessity which Miss Nightingale had found for enforcing strict discipline. And even with these new regulations to back her, she still found discipline hard to enforce. Her official letters to the War Office complain of unsuitable recruits being sent out to her, and of the greater number of them as being wholly undisciplined. End of Section 19